Before we get started today, I wanted to give a special thanks to new sponsor, Hook Logistics. Hook Logistics is fulfillment without the fees, worry-free fulfillment for your customer transparent rates for you. They are a 3PL firm that's flipping the fulfillment business on its head with a simple concept, world-class fulfillment and transparent fair rates. On with the show. There's never been a better time to be a direct-to-consumer business. Join us as we uncover the strategies and scaling secrets of the world's most disruptive brands and agencies. This is DTC by Pilot House. Hello and welcome to D2C Podcast. Today I am super excited to have Molly Pittman with us. Molly, of course, is the CEO of Smart Marketer. She's a legendary marketer herself, responsible for training thousands of the world's top media buyers and entrepreneurs. She's also the founder and forerunner of the Train My Traffic Person program, along with Ezra Firestone. Now, this is a program for training in-house media buyers. So today, we've got Molly, as well as the, a few of the Pilot House team members, including uh, Pilot House CEO Dave Steele and uh, direct-to-consumer uh, head writer, Kyle Guilfoyle. And today we're going to talk about whether you should hire an agency or have an in-house traffic team. We'll get into some of the nuances of what you want your in-house team to be able to cover, what you want your, you know, if you're going to go for an agency, what you want the agency to be able to cover, how you can best integrate. I'm super excited. Welcome to D2C Podcast. Molly, how you doing? Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. Doing great. Uh, good to be here with you all. And yeah, ready to have it out today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. We brought on Dave Steele just to make sure we had we really had that agency side represented. So, we, you know, we can uh, we can really have that, that that case made. The last time we spoke was on a rooftop in Barcelona, Molly. Uh, how, how has your life evolved since then? I think it started raining very shortly after we met. So our conversation was cut short and we ran. Yeah, I recall. <laughs> I remember that correctly. Um, yeah, so that was what, a year and a half ago now? Crazy. Time is flying. I don't know if you guys feel like that, but totally. I don't think time has ever moved this quickly. Uh, yes, life has changed a lot. So when I saw you in Barcelona, I had actually just gotten to Amsterdam. I was going to stay there for three months and hang out in Europe, work, kind of just have that experience. And I decided to stay. So I've been living here a year and a half, which is exciting. Um, a lot has changed. <laughs> At that time, I was still running my own agency and doing a lot of consulting um, and really just getting started with Ezra on Train My Traffic Person and a few of the first offers that we created. So since then, we've gone full out. I'm the CEO of Smart Marketer, which Ezra Firestone founded. So that's really cool. I love being back, you know, a part of a bigger group of people. That's really fun. I launched a book, which is exciting, called Click Happy. Have a new podcast coming out. Yeah, the, a, a lot has happened when I look back. It doesn't feel like it, but <laughs> yeah, lots of changes. Molly, I'm, I'm really curious about um, what, what you were so taken with about Amsterdam that, that made you want to stay there. Yeah, good question. Um, so I lived in Italy or studied in Italy like 10 years ago, and I really loved being in Europe. Like something about it just lit me up. 
like not only the people I was meeting, but also the experiences I was having. I just felt very like calm, but also alive <laughs> in an adventurous way. Um, and I had really been craving that. You know, I lived in Austin, Texas for a while, worked a digital marketer. After I left there, I moved to Telluride, Colorado in the middle of nowhere. Very much needed that at, at that time in my life, recovering from burnout, just sort of healing. <laughs> and then after, you know, about two years there, I realized, okay, I miss being in a city, I should go check Europe out. So, I mean, there are lots of reasons I stayed. The most important is probably the time change, though, because it really forces balance for me. The U.S. doesn't wake up or really get to work until about 2 to 3 p.m. here, which a lot of folks might not like, um, but I actually really enjoy it because then I have, I truly have space to write or, you know, create videos or, you know, go on a walk, <laughs> whatever I need to do. Um, there's also a pretty big digital marketing scene here, which I was really surprised by. So I've met and been able to become friends with people that do the same thing that I do, which I was definitely missing from Austin when I was living in the mountains. So that's another huge reason. And just quality of life here, you know, food quality, the political climate, I mean, obviously we're all experiencing that right now. So just like overall well-being and peace of mind is uh, really what I was going after. And I sure, think I, I, a really easy way to get a visa. I mean, it's not super easy, but there's something called DAFT, Dutch American Friendship Treaty. A few other marketers have also uh, moved over since I've been here that, that I've known through this treaty. And it basically states that if you're an American and you move to Holland or vice versa, and you're willing to open a business and put 10,000 euros in a bank account, you get at least a two-year visa that can be renewed from there. So once I learned that, I was like, wow, this is also a chance for me to diversify, you know, in terms of business, in terms of currency. You know, I've moved a lot of my money from the U.S. dollar over to the euro because it feels more stable right now. So um, that's another reason that I stayed, too. That's awesome. And anybody and I can do it. Awesome. And there may be more people looking to do it, depending on the outcome of the election that we're all waiting to, to hear about this morning. <laughs> I remember you talking to me about this in Barcelona. It's cool to hear how well it's worked for you. And I think, yeah, it's a great option for people out there. Like now more than ever, we can work from anywhere. So it's, I think people's minds are starting to go to like, where would be ideal for me to work, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Are you gonna say something, Kyle? Yeah, yeah. And I will, I totally resonate with uh with a place lighting you up. That's that's really how I, th I I felt when I came to Victoria, British Columbia, which is which is where we all live. Um and <clears throat> I know that I know that balance is really important to you. And so and and I know that you have experienced some, you know, some burnout in your uh your career. And I'd I'd really um I'd be curious to to have you paint a picture for us of of what a day in the life of Molly Pittman was like when you were burned out and what it's like now on the other side. Yeah, of course. I mean, number one, it's definitely still not perfect. And actually the last month for me has been really hard. Um, for me, it's always a game of energy management. And especially when I'm teaching or dealing with clients, you all know like that the energy that you're putting out is always greater than you even expect, you know, uh, when you're working with other people. And so um, I just really have to be mindful about that. And when I'm not, I find that mentally I'm not my best, you know, I might feel sad or depressed. 
Um, or I just physically get sick. You know, I've dealt with a lot of illness the last few years in my career that I think were just a, um, really caused by stress or overexertion. So this is really important for me, but it's something that I'm still not, I still haven't mastered. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, this is a, a lifelong uh, game, I guess you want to call it. But before Molly, I think for me, the biggest part is the awareness around it. So before, if we want to call it that, or when I was really burnt out or what led to burnout was when I didn't have awareness around boundaries of work and play, taking care of myself. It was like just pure focus and almost obsession on what I was doing. And this stuff can be really addicting. Like you're spending a lot of money, you're making a lot of money, stuff's always changing. There's always something to do. You can always be online, right? Um, you're, you're, there's, there's really no just turning this off unless there's a hard boundary set by you. And so for me, especially if I, as I was rising in my career, and, um, you know, sort of building an audience, a lot of that was addicting too. you know, like you can be, there can be addictive patterns formed around serving other people, especially if you're a people pleaser, which I have been my whole life. So I think a lot of it is less my day to day, but more shifting the awareness of like, Molly, that is not healthy or sustainable. <laughs> and we need to create some awareness and therefore boundaries and systems so that that isn't how you're living your life. So before was probably, you know, maybe some days 16, 18 hours on the computer a day. That's insane. <laughs> um, but it was my own doing. And, you know, part of the hustle culture, like there is something to it. Like it can lead you somewhere, but it's not sustainable and there's not long-term. So now I just am much more intentional about my schedule, what days of the weeks I do certain activities and making sure that I'm looking at how I'm spending my energy um, because that's really my most important asset at this point. So Ooh. now it's just less, honestly, like less is more, <laughs> slow is fast. With boundaries. Um, that's important for everybody to understand. It's not about hustle as hard as you can for the rest of your life. That's just simply not going to work. Totally. And, and actually this is a really good segue into the, into the traffic stuff. Um, before we hop over to that stuff, um, you know, I, I also think it's, it's really important to, um, to pass these boundaries on to our, to our team members, the people that we're training. Um, it, it's, Absolutely. it's, it's already a huge challenge for, you know, um, a leader to, to do it in this, in this space or anybody online. And so I'm wondering if you have any advice on how, uh, leaders can, can pass on, um, you know, good, strong boundaries to, to their team members and, and, uh, yeah. yeah. I love this. And you know what's cool? This is actually one of the biggest reasons that I decided to go all in with Smart Marketer and become the CEO, become, you know, an owner in the company was because that Ezra had already set a culture of balance. Exactly what I'm talking about. Because once your company does have a hustle culture, it's really hard to turn that around because people um, you know, uh, people are incentivized. That's habitual, like we were just talking about. So that was something I really liked about Smart Marketer, that the culture was already one of balance and the least amount of stress as possible. 
So, I mean, obviously the best thing you can do is lead by example, right? Um, like I'm constantly leading by example in terms of telling my team, especially, you know, the executive team, hey guys, I'm taking Friday and Monday off and you should too. And, you know, hey, I'm closing down for the day, right? And just making sure that I'm communicating that I have these boundaries and they already know that. So just by seeing me live that way, you know, that's inspiring or sets the tone for other people that really Ezra set in the beginning. So that's first off. I mean, second, of course, is communication. Like John, our CMO, he would work and work and work until, you know, he flopped over. And that's something I love about him. He's very committed, but he sometimes needs to be directly told, John, you need to take time off or it's not okay. <laughs> so especially on our team calls, we're reminding people, take your paid time off, take vacation. Over uh, the summer, we did half day Fridays. So everybody was off well, for a nice. half day on Friday. Um, so, you know, those, those are simple things that you can do, but this is something that's deeply embedded into any culture, whichever way it's embedded, whichever way it goes. And it absolutely comes from the top um, and is obviously very important. And just following, uh, you know, Ezra's handle, your handle on social media, like you can see the the thought that goes into all these other aspects of, of one's life. I was I, something Ezra posted last week actually kind of affected me. Uh, and causing me to examine some things. I, I, I took a look at, he, he did a screen time flex. He showed uh, you know his daily screen time on his phone and how cognizant of it it is. I think it was 45 minutes or something. And that I'm was like- was for Instagram. And was like, that just that Instagram? Came, okay, that was just that Instagram. Came, that came from a conversation we were having where it was like, we feel people are spending too much time on our phone. We know that every week when we get that ping, hey, you're up or down this percentage from last week, that I can almost always align that with how I felt that week. If, if my screen time is up, usually it was stressful or just not that exciting of a week. <laughs> and so. so, yeah, that, uh, that idea came up. We started chatting about that. I showed him how I set boundaries with, you know, the app limits on my phone. And then that's even led to, we're thinking about doing a company challenge where for a month, we'll split everyone into three teams and the team with the lowest screen time, you know, wins or make it competitive just to create some awareness around this. So a lot of it too is just making sure people care about you. This has always been my management style and it's been critiqued sometimes. People think I'm maybe too easy on people or I like mama bear or I need to be like harder or stricter. And I'm not saying there's not a place for that, but I know there's absolutely a place for actually caring about the people that you work with. And the more that they know that, the more you take interest in their life. Hey, what are you up to this weekend? How are you feeling? What's going on? A lot of my day are those types of conversations, building those relationships. That's huge because then when people do feel burned out or they do feel like they need more balance, they're so much more comfortable to come to you also. Yeah, well, well said Molly. I, I think it always comes back, right? And I think when talking about this hustle culture, the more you set those boundaries and give back, it ends up coming around anyway, but it's in a very, uh, you know, collaborative way. And it's not seen as, it, it's almost like in some ways you feel like you're trying to put up, put up these regulations uh, in, in some ways, but it's just not perceived that way. It's perceived in a very supportive way. But how do you, how would you, I'd be interested to know, how would you say you balance that with people who are coming into the industry? 
uh, who maybe haven't haven't kind of had that hustle culture experience and they haven't sort of peaked out and they're now looking for balance how, how do you uh how so do you like how how would i help them if they have gone through burnout is that what you're saying no the opposite how, how do you get people who are who are kind of having their first tenure into this space and in, into this industry you still do want to sort of ingrain those kind of fast acting uh, yeah good question habits. Well, I mean, a lot of it is precautionary tale, you know, and making sure that they understand. And this is a lot of what I wrote about in my book. Whenever someone's new to the team, they read my book, they understand that journey of burnout. And that's a way of me making sure they know, like, this is something that can happen. Right. And I'm telling the story to help people who have gone through this, but to really help prevent this from happening. So that's really what I, I'm hoping for, if I guess I'm answering your question correctly. Nice. Or are you saying like, how do you still like find someone who's passionate and a go-getter? Is that kind of what you're asking for? Yeah, but and I like your I like your response of really painting the painting the full picture so they know what they're getting into. And that's right. something I, I try and do also while at the same time finding people who are passionate, who do want to be connected who do want to learn after hours because that is their passion, right? They love this space yeah. and that can be seen as extra screen time, but it's also them kind of living out their of course, living out their dream. And, you know, we're always looking for self-starters. Like that is absolutely the number one qualification for me when I'm looking to hire someone. It's hard to be in this industry and not be a self-starter, right? <laughs> like this is definitely not a box checking type of industry, no matter what you're doing. So we're always looking for self-starters. Usually for me nowadays, they're students who have been really exceptional in class. They show up to every class, their work is really good. They're asking questions and then giving that person an opportunity and helping them not self-sabotage really. Like that's the way I look at it because I'm not hiring people that need to be told exactly what to do. So I think if you're always looking for that type of person and then you're there to provide guidance and to say, hey, I went here and <laughs> I would recommend not going in this direction and have these boundaries and learn from me. If they're a self-starter, they're going to be operating on their own anyways. You don't need to embed that into them. That's already there. And that's why, you know, I used to be a bartender, like people in the service industry make amazing marketers because they understand people, they know how to work in a fast paced environment and they're self-starters, you know, being a bartender or a server a lot of times is like being, having your own little business, you know, you don't know how much money you're going to make and it's a reflection of your effort. So I like to look at people, for example, that are coming from that industry because I know a certain type of person is attracted to that. Obviously, not everybody was previously in the service industry, but you get what I'm saying. It's, Molly, it's interesting. I mean, I, I got I to jump in here because I really appreciate that you uh, you said that because I, I have a, a, a shit ton of experience in the service industry. In fact, I have a company that trains bartenders. Not surprised. There and you go. <laughs> um, and uh, and we, uh, we we often liken it to to having your own lemonade stand. It's actually like a very an entrepreneurial uh, thing. You 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 know you can control um, your your own results, which I think goes back to to Dave's question as well. Um, you know, you have people who are either living in the time and effort economy, and then you have people who are living in the results and outcome economy. And I think that when they're living in that latter economy, that they're 
they're more likely to, to, to be aligned with, with your organization and, and, and produce mm -hmm. the results that you want instead of, you know, um, having to be people that you need to manage. Um, anyways, uh, Eric, you, you were, I, I just wanted to say that. I appreciate you saying yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's awesome. No worries. I, I, it's something uh, Kyle Hitchcock mentions, and I forget the actual terms, but it's funny you brought up the service industry as well, because he, he always talks about McDonald's. Uh, and he, re, you know, read the book about, uh, uh, you know, uh, the Ray Kroc book, I think, about about growing McDonald's. And the thing right. that he really came away from, well, he was also trained, he he worked at McDonald's at a young age. And he, and he said in their training, they do their best to sort of sort out for people who are going to be making excuses and for people that are going to be solving problems. Like they really just try to find that proactive switch with people early on. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that's really carried through to him, I think, when he hires. I think it's probably something Dave would agree with that he looks for as well. Um, the other thing that I was going to mention, which was interesting, my brother, my brother worked at Shopify, or he works at Shopify, and he, in, in his first week, they did this thing where they sort of talked about burnout, but they talked about it in this way that was like, you, you know, you working at Shopify, you will have burnout. And so you need to take these proactive methods to make sure that you don't. It's an interesting kind of flex in a way, because it's like, here are the thing, because it basically implies that you're going to be so passionate about this job that you're going to risk burnout. It's an interesting way to kind of start the relationship because it kind of sets expectations that you're looking for people that are going to push towards that, but that you also have to provide some guardrails to make sure that they don't. Would you agree that that's kind of happening there to hit that balance? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't go about it that way because I feel like you're almost speaking it to it, it speaking it into existence or setting the expectation that if you don't experience burnout, you haven't worked hard enough. That's not what it felt a knock like. on Shopify. It's yeah. just not how I would go about it. And I think that's one of the worst things you can create in a culture. The um, you know, you the right the person who stays on slack the latest at night gets some sort of badge right <laughs> or like, you you don't want to create a culture where that is the expectation so i'm glad they're addressing it but i wouldn't say you know if i was in their spot it wouldn't be a okay you're going to experience this because i don't think every person will like okay a great example my cousin he's 22 he'll graduate college here in May, and he's been working with us part-time for a few years. And so we're gonna be bringing him on full-time and I'm really excited about that. Um, and it's cool because number one, he'll probably never work in an office in his life. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. yeah. But number two, I really think that he will come into this from a place of understanding where he just will probably never experience that. So I think, there are also sort of generations of marketers that we need to look at and people, I mean, this, this is always going to be difficult, but <laughs> as we go on, the platforms are easier to use. It does get a bit easier in some ways and harder in some ways. And so I think a lot of the new generation is going to benefit from the hard work that's, you know, happened the last 15 to 20 years too. And I just think there's more awareness nowadays around mindfulness and meditation and just being healthy than there was even five to 10 years ago. Totally. Nice. Okay. Let's jump into the topic at hand uh, and address whether or not if you're a, a brand starting out, what, you know, what you need to be thinking about when you're deciding whether or not to build out your internal marketing team or hire an agency, you know, on the pilot house side, we're working with 
uh, all manner of people, uh, upstarts that jump right into us. We have we have uh, big marketing departments that are trying to uh, simplify what they're doing so they make handoffs to us. Uh, I'm interested from your perspective, what are uh, some of those key things you need to think about in that discussion? Mm, yeah, big question. So especially the last, let's say two years, I've seen or let's maybe say I've heard, right? Because I have seen, but I've also just heard a lot of people in my ecosystem, especially students come to me and say, Molly, I hired an agency. I've gone through so many agencies and it didn't work, right? And therefore Facebook ads don't work or I want to try it myself. Um, And so I start with that to say that For me, it's a lot less about whether you should hire in-house and and build out a team, whether you should go with an agency versus looking at the relationships there. Because usually what I see when an agency doesn't work or the relationship doesn't work, it's not that the agency is bad and doesn't know what they're doing. It's that there is a disconnect there because that agency is not really a part of the day-to-day of the company. And especially over the last year or two on platforms like Facebook, I mean, what's becoming more important? It's social proof, it's engagement. It's like actually knowing how to speak to a group of people and them responding to you before they even pull their wallet out. So a lot of the issues that I see is that business owners hire an agency, the business owner thinks they don't have to be involved in any way, They just hand over ads to an agency who doesn't really know much about the business. And then it's just a complete fail before it ever started. Because that is this making sense to you guys? Totally. Because that knowing isn't there. So yes, I do have thoughts on agency versus in-house that we can get to, but I just wanted to start there. And you know, that's on the agency also, right? Like the agency should know what goes into building like the best Facebook campaign possible and walk through those steps with the customer. But there is still stuff about the customer and the business that they're just not going to understand as well as the team does. And that's the huge fail point that I see. Um, Because what I see a lot in our class, TMTP is actually half business owners and half media buyers that are either freelancers in-house, have their own agency, lots of different formats. And so the business owners are either running ads on their own because they just nerd out about advertising, they wanna do it, they've gotten it to a certain level and they wanna scale, or they're going through this so that they can lay the foundation to hand over to an agency, which is really impactful for them to actually go through in depth the avatar creation process, writing copy, right? Digging into the interest, digging into the creative. And that's when I see things work really well. You know, when the business owner is a part of that process and then the agency can be the ones that, you know, are involved in that part, of course, but also doing a lot of the button clicking, um, you know, day-to-day ads management side of things. So I think that's really important for people to understand When it comes to in-house versus agency, I do think like if I had to pick between the two, I would always pick in-house 
because that has been my experience. So therefore I've seen the benefit, right? I've also see the, seen the benefit of working with an agency. But for me, I think there's just something special about having a person or multiple people that actually work at the company that are involved day to day that know the voice of the customer. Um, there's really something special about that. But there's also something special, like when I was a digital marketer, I was running all the Facebook traffic because that's what I love to do. But we hired out the Google and YouTube side of things because mm -hmm. I didn't have the bandwidth and I wasn't interested in that. And I tried bringing that in-house and it didn't work. So it worked a lot better to hand that off to an agency. So there's a time and place, but I think either way, the special sauce is the, uh, you know, the basics, the fundamentals, the, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> really the, the steps that most people want to step over and the business owner to hand over to the agency, hey, run my ads, right? And that's a much bigger feat than they ever imagined. One thing, Molly, I think that you have is you've got that experience and you have the values that I think, you know, media buyers and creative teams need to succeed. And so you can imbue that on your in-house team. The concern I might have is if there is a new brand who maybe doesn't have that experience or those values, uh, if they're going to try and foster that themselves, that might not be their core business, or maybe they're, maybe the values of the business don't necessarily align as well to this kind of world of media buying, which can get pretty, you know, pretty cutthroat, you know, every dollar counts, uh, every minute counts. So what about sort of the maturity of a business? How, how would you sort of speak to whether maybe a, a, start, a new brand versus maybe a more mature brand who already has sort of developed that in-house team? Uh, is, is that maybe more suitable for, like you said, expanding to an, an agency for maybe certain segments, Google, um, the buying or perhaps the creative? Great even. question. I really see it both ways, honestly. Like I see people that are just starting out that just shouldn't touch ads. Like right. they just shouldn't, they should hire a really good agencies that's going to allow them to be a part of the process that I was talking about. And they need to outsource. There are a lot of people that are actually really good at the marketing side of things. And most business owners know if they are, or if they aren't. And in my opinion, they should get started on their own and then maybe hire someone in-house and then maybe hand it off to scale. So there are some people, it's very situational. I mean, I get multiple inquiries about this a day. Molly, I'm looking to hire someone. What should I do? And I always ask questions to figure out where they are right now to make that recommendation because it, it really depends. Like some people should start with an agency. Some should scale with an agency. Um, but I do think, especially for your larger companies, um, there is, you know, at Digital Marketer, when we were getting more to spending, you know, let's say like $700,000 a month on paid media. Well, there was myself, there was John who was just looking at the data and analytics side of things. We had a designer, we had a copywriter, and that was our little in-house agency, you know, and we were servicing other businesses that were owned by, you know, a digital marketer also. So that's another cool model to look at, like a shared resource model that is internal, but almost like um, a little agency, which is fun. And that really worked for us. But again, like I said, Google and YouTube, we really didn't have any interest in. 
John had given it a shot. He said, guys, I just don't have time. We outsourced it. And that became a very important channel while I was there. So it just, it so depends. <laughs> yeah, I, I, no, I, I love that. And I, what, what I'm hearing you say is that, um, you know, the, the, the wheels kind of fall off the bus when the spirit of the business owner is to pass the buck, you know, like, okay, agency, you do this thing. Um, and, you know, there isn't necessarily that joint accountability where they're in it with the agency, they're learning as they go. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so that, that's what I'm hearing you say. And I would and really, I, you, really quick, yeah. before you move forward, I just want to clarify there because a lot of that is our responsibility as the marketer to educate them on the fact a lot of business owners are like, okay, I'm making the decision to invest in Facebook ads. That's something I'm going to hand off, never have to touch, never be involved in. And that's when things don't work because then we've lost the like relationship with the customer. We've lost the understanding of why they created this business in the first place, who this product or service is actually serving. I mean, of course we can always do research. We can always have them like send us avatar sheets, but unless you actually work with that person on this, it's just, it's really tough. So a lot of it is educating the business owner on that side of things. And this isn't something that you're like, oh, I'm going to outsource getting the office cleaned. So now I pay and, you know, we come in once a week and our office is, is clean. And that's a simple transaction. That's not how this should be looked at. This isn't you do my ads, go make me a bunch of money. See you later. <laughs> like Five years ago. Yeah, of course. But the last two years, absolutely not. I wanted to ask about foundation again. I think that's something that's really important here. And I, this is maybe a question for, for uh, Molly and Dave to talk about, because I know uh, we've worked with a number of different clients uh, to varying degrees of success. And, and there's probably a pattern in what the, our best clients really have as their kernel of, of internal knowledge. I think everyone loves the, you know, everyone wants to have, you know, market a marketing brain trust in their company. Even if they're using agencies, they really want someone with their hands on all the numbers, really understanding that they're driving growth. Like I wanted to start with you, Molly. Like what what do you define as like that really essential core marketing skill set that you you really should have in-house? Well, I don't know if it's necessarily a skill set, but for me it's the ability to you know, any campaign that we're building, I'm always going through these quick six steps. And I'm not saying that someone, a business owner would need to do all of these, but these are the most important. Everything goes back to these. One, of course, is the offer. So wherever you're sending traffic to, even if it's a product page, I mean, is that optimized? Is that something people want? Um, you know, as the business owner, as the person that created this thing, you probably know that more than anybody else, right? Or if a pre-sale article needs to be created or a lead magnet needs to be created, like that is something that that person or someone from that team definitely needs to be involved in, right? That's not even something that most ad agencies do, but people definitely come with that expectation. So obviously that's the first step. That's the most important thing always. The offer, there, nothing will ever be more important than the offer. And that requires, I mean, in Train My Traffic Person, we spend two full weeks on that. And we have a training where Ezra is specifically talking to e-commerce folks. I'm talking to info, local, SaaS, because that's, even though it's a training about being a media buyer, there's nothing more important than that. 
So the second step for us is always the who. So going very deep on avatars and not just marketing 101 avatars, like really diving into what this person is thinking about, but also figuring out how important are avatars for your business from a standpoint of with Smart Marketer, we know we're serving people that want to be better marketers. We're very much what I call a market-centric business. Like it's easy for me to think about our avatar. Yes, we could have sub-avatars of agency owners, e-com, blah, blah, blah. But really, we're serving a group of people that are pretty easy to identify and they're pretty easy to find on Facebook. If we were selling a notebook, well, that's a lot different, right? There's not really just a market of people hanging out there on Facebook that just love notebooks and want to buy your notebook, right? That's what I call a product-centric business. If you want to reach them on a social platform with essentially a digital billboard, we need to actually do some product placement there and pick some avatars where this notebook would relate to their life so that we can find those people very specifically on Facebook and so that we can speak to a specific transformation, right? So that we're not just targeting other companies that sell notebooks and saying how great our notebook is. That just doesn't work in 2020. So we do a lot of work around helping people figure out, am I market centric? Am I product centric? And what does that mean for my avatar creation process? Which is so informative when you really go to deep dive into interests, which we know are very important for getting our CPMs as low as possible, especially during times right now where things are really competitive. Um, but it also helps with the next step, which is ad copy, of course, understanding that person, we know how to speak to them. So that's always the third step for us. Fourth is creative. You guys obviously know what that means. Uh, really in between the avatar and the copy step are where we develop the hooks that we wanna test because the copy and creative are just visual or written representations of those hooks that we wanna test. So those are established which makes writing the copy and creating the creatives actually really easy because you know so much about this person and you know the exact hook that you're wanting, you're, you're wanting to get across. Um, so copies number three, creatives number four. Um, and then number five and six for us are really about campaign structure, which we know is important, but we know isn't as important as the rest of the creation of those marketing assets. So things like how many ad sets, how many ads, what type of bidding, what objective, all of the questions that people have in platform, which that should be the agency owner's specialty, of course. <laughs> um, and then step six is everything post launching the campaign. So troubleshooting, figuring out what's working, what's not working, scaling, all of that fun stuff, which is usually more on the agency side or the media buyer side. Um, sorry, I kind of went down a rabbit hole there, but those are the steps we're always going through. And especially those first four and the actual creation of the assets, the more that the, the, the founder of the company, the marketing manager can be involved in that, the better. Very cool. And likewise, Molly, if the agency is going to be the one running from sort of step five later, I mean, they should be involved in from step one. You know what I mean? They need to bring those ad copy chops, those landing page chops, the, the creative strategy chops, um, and then be aligned in the real 
end goal, which is client profit or, or the brand's actual generation of, of profit, as opposed Absolutely. to, uh, you know, spending money. And I, I'd love to hear your, you know, with, with such experience, sort of seeing the, the full spectrum, we've, with, with Pilot House, we sort of set out in this way, um, you know, with alignment sort of as a core value and transparency as a core value coming from a, you know, seeing, seeing the affiliate space, right? Seeing black boxes and <laughs> tiny object syndrome and seeing ad accounts go up and down and this, this, this massive roller coaster. While at the same time, seeing traditional agencies having a little bit more of a uh, sort of sluggish nine to five budget sort of thing to be spent, not to be, you know, uh, not to be managed uh, dollar by dollar. Um, and each have pros and cons and to try and, you know, merge those two together in, in a very uh, harmonious way. What's your opinion on sort of where the agency model is going, knowing that if you're going to partner with an agency, they have to be deep integration. And mm -hmm. how is that going to sort of upset what, what's kind of longstanding? Yeah, I think that agencies will continue to niche down more than we even see right now. Like for me, the agencies, even just my friends that I look at that have agencies, the ones that to me seem the most successful, which means, you know, the company's doing well, but they're also happy, <laughs> are people that have niched down. They're either serving a certain vertical or they even just have, you know, like my friend Tom Breeze has a YouTube agency. And he operates purely off of performance, which is really awesome. He's been able to make that work. And that allows him to really only work with the people that he wants to work with. And so I think the more that we, like um, I've been working on a project the last two years in the LASIK space. And um, we have a team of people who are running ads for different LASIK practices, which is pretty fun. And I'm interested in it because once we set the strategy, which was really my job, that could be duplicated across all of these different practices. They don't care if the ads are the same because they all live in different cities, right? It's all geo-targeting. So my job is just once a month to get on with the doctor. This is a good example of still communicating with that person. I hop on with the doctor who's doing all of these virtual consultations, talking to patients, and we just come up with a few new hooks every month. It, we just chat, we pull out like some goodness from our conversation, things that he's seeing, things that patients are saying. Um, and then we decide, okay, here's how we're gonna go about the copy and creative for that, whether he needs to shoot something, which is what's always working best, like him on selfie video nowadays. But anyways, I'm going down another rabbit hole, but I, that's, I think that's a good example. It can be that easy, but he's involved. I'm not making assumptions about <laughs> what people are thinking uh, of in regards to LASIK this month. I'm letting him tell me that. So anyways, I do think, we're going to see more niching down. And I really have fun with that project because, I mean, we could serve 50 LASIK clients, 100 LASIK clients, and pretty much only scale in regards to the amount of button pressing we need to do in platform, way less in terms of, you know, needing to come up with specific, specific hooks for each of these practices. So I see things going more in that direction, but I'm honestly not sure. I mean, I'm sure you guys know this, but 
um, online consumer spending grew by, you know, 10 years, what we expected it to be in 2030 in just two months this year because of COVID. I mean, this is obviously going to be the biggest Q4 that a lot of brands have ever seen because of holiday spending, like the need for agencies and people that know digital marketing, even if they aren't even that sophisticated with it, is so high that it's really hard to say exactly what's going to happen. I just know it's good for us. <laughs> and I know that at least for the next, I would say, five years, there's going to be so much more demand than there is supply. That's why a lot of what I'm doing is trying to get more media buyers into the industry versus trying to make people that are already really good marketers, better marketers. Of course, I like to do that too, but I see an issue. One of the biggest questions I get is, how do I hire someone like you? How do I hire a media buyer? Where do I find these people? <laughs> it's definitely not, you know, coming out of school nowadays. So, um, you know, I get excited when I think about the future because whether it's, you serving as an agency, a freelancer, working for someone else, creating your own business, whatever role you want to take in this market will change over time. And it really doesn't matter. There is truly space for everybody. And we should not ever look at this as competition. Like there is no competition. There is enough work for every single person and so much more. I, I agree. And it's also it's something I've mentioned a few times on the podcast now. It's like we had this idea that, okay, all these jobs in the, in the world, we're going to go the way of the dodo bird, the, the transportation jobs, for instance. That's the big one everyone's been talking about. As soon as everything gets automated, all those transportation jobs are going to go. So we got to learn to code kind of thing. But now with the pandemic, it's like there's a whole other category of jobs that have become totally potentially untenable, uh, you know, long term. And so it's even more pressure on this amazing opportunity, I think, to learn how to how to wield uh, you know, internet traffic in order to to, to drive commerce, uh, and and I find it really uh, really like interesting and, and it, like it, there's just all this pressure on this industry um, to grow, and so I I fully agree with 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 seeing that's where it's going to go. I wanted to ask you just mentioned about hiring media buyers, and I know so I was employee number eighteen at Pilot House in. Uh, in March or, you know, right as this was all beginning. And I, I don't know exactly where we're at now. We're somewhere between 60 and 70 now, you know, five months Bye, later, Dave. which is absolutely insane. So that, and that a lot, most of that is Dave, but you know, making these hires, Dave is like leading the charge on hiring these media buyers a lot of times. Right. And I'm always interested. And so this is kind of for Dave, maybe to start, like what goes in into your mindset about like, finding media buyers. I know sometimes you'll have an interview and you'll be like, yeah, that guy's solid. That guy's going to, you know, that, that person is going to just slay. That person is, you know, whether, whether I'm interested in the signals you get from people, Dave, that really let you know that they're going to be a great media buyer. Yeah. Uh, really good question. And a lot, honestly, I, I hate to say it, but a lot of it is gut. Um, a lot of it is gut about like values based. Some of these, some of these first interviews I have, like I asked the person, like, what's your three core personal values. And they're just like, Jesus, what? Like I, I got, oh. I, either they haven't thought about it or they just, you know, have to come up with something on the spot, but really getting a sense for whether they're entrepreneurial, whether they're proactive, whether they're problem solvers, um, you know, obviously how do they communicate? Cause in our world as an agency, communication is fundamental, right? Both to your internal team and to all these other departments, to your copywriters, to your landing page developers, to your creative teams, to your, so forth, but then also to the to the client, right? They need to be the best employee that 
you know, our pilot house client has ever hired because we really want to integrate them in so that they see them as their media buyer. Um, so I, I kind of asked that question, what would, who would our client want to hire? And, and, and I defined that as who pilot house wants to hire. And ultimately it is that, you know, and I know that we started this off sort of with this, uh, this, this balance versus hustle conversation, but really in the early stages, if you're going to hire a, you know, just what we call a, a junior buyer, just trying to find someone who has that ingrained hustle, but driven from passion, driven from a place where every day, if they do choose to work those 18 hours, they're doing it out of, you know, out of a place of abundance and a place of desire. Uh, rather and you set the tone, you set the tone with that, with the way you, you know, with the vision, you know, like with the visionary uh, fugue state you go into when you explain the business and everyone's eyes light up, right? Like it's that passion that you've got to impart to your employees. You've got to light that fire in them. So it feels like they're, you know, and, and then we do that with aligning incentives and all these things, making sure that the team is compensated properly. But to me that, that, yeah, really just being able to make that connection so that they have that finding out that they have the drive, connecting them to what's possible. And then, you know, the ones that, that have that drive are going to, are going to take and run with it. Molly, what do you say about this? Yeah. I mean, first off, of course, we chatted about this earlier, but making sure they're a self-starter and a lot of that for me too, Dave is gut, but you can also tell, like you can tell really quickly. And a lot of the people we hire are people in our ecosystem, right? They grew up on a commune with Ezra or they were a student or, you know, we worked together in the past. Like I know, you, you, you know what I'm saying? Like there's a knowing there. Um, but we also understand that that way of hiring isn't great for diversity. So we're really changing that and making sure that we're putting the opportunities out there to more people. Because if we're just hiring within our circle, that's not really the best way to go. But anyways, um, first thing is, is self-starter. Second, and this is huge and specific to almost everybody I hire, but very much media buyers. I'm reading, and a lot of times you can tell this through the language that somebody uses, but um, definitely checking on their mindset and checking to see if they are operating from a place of scarcity that is one of the worst things that you can do as a media buyer, especially if you have issues around money and scarcity around money in your life or your childhood. Okay, so you're going to stick that person in an account and ask them to spend, you know, hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of somebody else's dollars. That's not going to work very well. And there's going to be a lot of stress for them around scaling and performance and we know as media buyers, mindset is everything, right? Because most of what we do doesn't work. That person needs to be able to get back up and go at it. <laughs> or you need to be able to trust that it's going to work down the road when the conversions come in. You've got to be able to spend yeah. into the void sometimes in order to get the data. So if you have those yeah. financial issues. Well, and if you're coming from a place of scarcity, you are not allowing yourself the space that you need to work on the stuff that actually matters, like the copy, the creative, the targeting, the offer, everything that we talked about. And I see this with students. They're so focused. I need to get an ad up. I need to get it launched. I need to start making money. I'm like, cool. We can have a little bit like there's nothing wrong with some urgency. I like some good urgency. 
But if you're only operating out of that, your ads are going to suck and none of this is going to work anyways. So um, I see that with students. I see that with media buyers. So I'm always checking on mindset around scarcity, specifically money, um, because that can be detrimental. And that's something that I'm always working on, you know, whether it's meditations or taking classes about this. I mean, that is is super important. Um, And then the third thing that I look at is really their motivation. Because if someone is only currently motivated by money, well, eventually they, if they're good at this, they will be satisfied in that area of their life, we hope. So what's going to happen after that person, very much like Dave was saying, what happens after that person starts making the amount of money that they want to make? Are they still going to be fulfilled in working with with us, right? Like, is, is there still going to be fulfillment there or is this person going to get bored, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of that is making sure, you know, a smart marketer, a lot of it is talking about values and, you know, serve the world unselfishly and profit. That is something that this person really needs to buy into because that's speaking to our values being so much more than just about making money. And that's also why, some of our students turn into great employees because they really buy into that. They're like, I love how you guys think about what you're doing. And, you know, I'm, I buy into that too. Amazing, Molly. I love that. That, if you don't mind unpacking uh, a certain part of that, one question I have for you in a little context, one thing I observed uh, when it comes to a challenge within an agency is, not only attracting top talent, because at the end of the day, you know, we are a talent house, but retaining top talent can become a challenge. And I witnessed that in a lot of, a lot of previous agencies in a lot of bad ways. Yeah. I think we've kind of found, found a little, you know, uh, a great balance at pilot house, but what would you say are some of the maybe you know, maybe experiences you've had or, or mm-hmm. what advice would you give to any brands out there even who have found their, their stallion top performer media buyer and have them not just go start their own e-com business or start their own agency, which happens. Well, often. You know, this is part of the game. Like that's what I did. <laughs> right. I worked a digital marketer, built up my skill set, built up a following. And then, you know, now I worked for a direct competitor. You know, that's just what it is. So it's accepting that that can happen. And that's part of the game. And that is actually, if that happens, if you build someone up and they leave, that is such a cool thing for you to do for that person. So that isn't something, yeah, it sucks, but just switch your mindset on that a little bit because it does hurt, (laughs) but it's also you know, we're not all meant to work together forever. So it's accepting that that's going to happen. But that said, this is another reason that I did decide to work with Smart Marketer. It's because I've literally never seen someone leave one of Ezra's companies. Like I really say that unless they wanted like a full career switch to become a nurse or something. Um, And even, you know, being working with him now for two years, i still have seen zero turnover. And that all goes back to culture, communication. Um, if anything gets stressful, obviously there are times where stress is going to occur, but when something gets stressful for someone on the team, or we are feeling 
um, you know, stress. It's like, how can we change this? Can we push this back? Do we need to be doing this? Why are we doing something that's stress inducing? And that sounds maybe a little bit like, oh, we all have to do hard things. And that's true. But I guess what I'm saying is we just really, in any decision that we can make to take stress off of the team, we do. And people very much enjoy that. And we also, you know, the company's remote. People pretty much work their own hours. We keep a really low, um, uh, low volume meeting schedule. We have a team meeting every week. You might have a team with your department or somebody else. But other than that, we keep a really low call volume because we want people to be in a creative space. We don't set like crazy numerical goals uh, that people feel all stressed out about, right? We're constantly reiterating our values and celebrating students that we've helped. And people feel that. That matters to them. That's why they stick around. We're having as many conversations with people as we can about their future in the company and what they like doing and what they don't like doing and showing that we're, we're willing to change the situation to make them as happy as possible because we know they'll do their best work and we know they'll stick around. Um, and really just having fun with it, right? Like so I've, I've seen both sides of this and I've been in meetings that are always about money, that are always stressful, that are always like, we're not hitting our goal. What are we gonna do? And you feel like you're climbing up a mountain and eventually that gets tiring. Like, yeah, you can get a lot out of someone with that sort of management style in a short amount of time. But if you really want someone to stick around long-term, it's just, it needs to be fun. It needs to be more than that. Um, so yeah. I, I those, fully those, agree. Yeah. I've, 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 this brings me back to a, a boozy conversation I had with Mr. Uh, Mr. Dave Steele about, about what, <laughs> about providing meaning for people in people's lives and, and really like that as a business owner and an entrepreneur, if you're doing it right, that's a huge part of the package you're offering, which is like, yes. we live in this world where it's increasingly difficult to construct meaning from, you know, all these wild things that are happening out there. But if you can uh, really, you know, evangelize about what your business is doing, driving commerce, like providing, you know, incredible upside to, to this whole generation of people coming in. Like if you can get people to buy into, to the meaning that they're generating in what they're doing, that it, it can be so as powerful as money, I think to, to, to align, align your team. Well, it's more powerful. It's yeah. so much more powerful. And that's why with our students, especially with our team, we're not really sharing the testimonials where people are like, I made this amount of money because that gets boring. It's the testimonials about, you know, being able to send your kid through school and all of these life-changing ways that we have effects on people that, yeah, have to do with money, but really have to do with so much more, which is what marketing's about in general. <laughs> Cool. So, I mean, a lot of it is just being laid back and, and chill, you know, our team meetings coming up in a few hours and like Ezra will probably be in a tank top and like, you know, I'll put on a fun hat and like the team will show up and we'll laugh and we'll spend time together. And it's something people look forward to doing, right? It's like, what culture would you look forward to showing up every day and not dread? That's one of my biggest measurements in life. If I'm waking up and dreading something, or if I'm even dreading a call, I need to analyze why am I engaging in that activity? Because it's not lighting me up. So I'm not doing my best work and I'm not going to be my best. So use that filter for your 
team too. We've all been there. You know, <laughs> like we know the the biggest reason I can sort of stand and who I am now is because of the experiences I've had in the past of great experiences that I really enjoyed and also experiences that were like, this isn't from me, for me. And, you know, <laughs> we've all, probably all had those too. Totally. Nice. Well, Molly, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This has been really interesting. This is an area that we haven't really touched. And I think it's an area that a lot of entrepreneurs out there, whether they're on the media, whether they're building an agency or, or building a brand, I think we touched on a lot of things that people, uh, people think about quite a bit. Uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you? If people want to know more about, about uh, your training programs or, or anything you're doing at Smart Market, or what, what do you recommend? Yeah, if you guys want to follow me on Instagram, that's definitely where I'm most active on social. That's at Molly Pittman Digital. Um, and that's P-I-T-T-M-A-N, my last name. And then if you want to check out, so we open Train My Traffic Person, the mentorship aspect, which is like 32 live calls with me. It's pretty fun. Every week we teach a topic. So like authors, for example. And then that Thursday, we go through every student's offer and give feedback. It's extensive, but it's really fun. And I think that's what the market's missing. Like there's lots of information out there, but people still struggle to apply it to their business. So that feedback is really helpful. And uh, we do that twice a year. We also have a digital version that's um, less expensive where you just get access to the videos. So you guys can learn more about that at trainmytrafficperson.com. And if you just want to generally check us out, it's smartmarketer.com. We're working on redoing that website, but we will be launching our podcast very soon uh, called the Smart Marketer Podcast. So whenever you guys are watching this, that will be live. So go look it up on iTunes. We're also doing a really cool contest to launch the podcast. There are 10 prizes, but the top prize is a business makeover where you get um, an hour long consultation with myself, Ezra, and like 10 other team members that are in different areas of our business. So our copywriter, our um, designer. So you get basically like 10 plus hours of consulting with these different people in the business. So really nice. excited about that. Very cool. Well, my green screen is malfunctioning, so it's time to go. Uh, it's been awesome uh, hanging out with you today, Molly. And I look forward to, yeah, once you have that podcast going, let's, let's have you back on sometime. Um, and, and reconnect because it's always a pleasure. Likewise. Thanks, y'all. Okay. Thanks, Thanks, Molly. Thanks, Molly. Thank you.